Gentlemen, we went over the rules in the dressing room. I want to caution you to keep this fight clean at all times, and what I say you must obey. Live from the WKOM studio in downtown Columbia, it's time to wake up and get woke. It's three dudes with a view. Let's get it all! Okay, we're back. Three dudes with a view. We're done uh, Radiothon. We did that yesterday and the day before, raising money for amazing calls. The Well Food Pantry in Spring Hill. Uh, we did very well, exceeded all goals. Thank you, all of you out there who helped make it happen. My name is Del Kennedy. I'm dude number three. Dude number two, Clayton Harris, has parked the bus and entered the building. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, Del. Good morning, everybody. Dude number one, Mr. Jim York, how are you? Good morning, Dale. Good morning, everybody out there. Good morning, Mr. York. And let's see, regular special guest dude, uh, native son of Columbia, favorite son of Columbia, and uh, 1977 graduate of Columbia Central High School. I think he's here. Ron Hart, you here? Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you. There we go. My my computer screen's frozen up, but um, anyway... It, computers freeze, then they unfreeze. <laughs> and we've got a couple of guests with us this morning. First, I want to turn to Representative Scott Pecky, who's joined us. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, everybody. All right, Scott, you've got several things that you wanted to share with us. Uh, where do you want to start? A couple updates. Uh, TDOT, boy, you got to give them credit for being punctual. Highway 31, uh, the repaving project from the Giles County line up to the uh, old skate center, the new gymnastics place. Uh, looks like they're in the final stages of getting ready to pave that. So uh, the, those uh, uh, one-lane traffic should come about here probably starting Monday. And hopefully they'll have three to four days of paving. And then hopefully by next Friday we'll be announcing that that project has been completed. And then TDOT will move on to other projects. There's another one coming in Murray County. I don't know when it's going to start, but I'll give you data on that once it comes about. The second thing we want to talk about is the Bear Creek Interchange. Uh, the Bear Creek Interchange is proceeding on schedule. The northbound ramp getting off of 65 now has been concreted and ready to go. So they'll be getting ready to finish up that project. You'll probably see it done here on time and on schedule. Uh, and they said it's going to come in below budget. Probably be done sometime in early fall here coming up. So the Bear Creek Interchange will all be paved and done. Columbia, uh, good news is we've always been trying to get Bear Creek four-lane to the interstate. Right. Columbia, the city of Columbia, has uh, entered into a grant application with TDOT to try to secure funds to make Bear Creek four lanes to the interstate. They have ponied up a commitment to some local money to help sweeten the deal for TDOT. And so Senator Hensley and myself, we will be pushing TDOT to get Murray County as high up as we can on the list so that we can take advantage of that money and hopefully maybe transform a new entryway into Columbia via uh, Interstate 65 of Bear Creek Pike becoming four lanes all the way into Columbia, which would be tremendous for not only traffic of people getting out of Murray County, but southern middle Tennessee all the way down to Wayne County and Lewisburg, or, or Lawrenceburg. Sorry about that, Lawrenceburg. All right, so now what's the – Columbia has applied for the grant. It, it, do we know yet – uh, how that grant application is being received? Uh, so far, we I believe we made the initial cut. Uh, there's three levels of it, I believe, that we have to go through. Um, the good thing that really helps us out was when Bear Creek Pike was built a long time ago, Delk, they bought the right-of-way. 
for the expansion. Mm-hmm. So a we, long time ago. I remember, time. I remember when it was built. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, well, I mean, you and Abraham Lincoln probably drove it together. Right, right, right. But, uh, Absolutely. Um, it, it, that really helps us out because now it's cost effective to the state where they don't have to go out and get the right of way. They just got to use the right of way that's already purchased. Like on Tom Hitch, if we ever wanted to expand Tom Hitch to four lanes, the right of way has already been purchased. Right. And so this really helps us out a lot. We expect us, we do expect to make it through the second round of cuts. And then when you get to the third round of cuts, that's where it gets real tough. Okay. But, uh, we'll, you know, Senator Hensley and I, I'm sure we can get all the other representatives and senators in the area to write letters of support. That'll, that'll be our job. Uh, because Bear Creek Pike Four Lane is a regional project, which will take a lot of pressure off of Highway 31 going north towards 840, or Saturn Parkway. A lot of pressure. That'll help us out. So that, that's another big project. Yeah, uh, two, yeah, it is. Two other things I want to briefly touch on real quick. Um, you know, last year we, we had the, uh, the full implementation of the third grade retention bill. With the interventions put in place, uh, there'll be a bill coming this year. K-1 and 2 for summer school and tutoring is still optional for students. And we heard from a lot of teachers that they would like us to put some kind of trigger in there so these kids that need the help can can get the help but are required to get the help so we can get them caught up. So look for some type of, of a trigger for K-1 and 2 that if a kid's not on a, on grade level, that they'll be assigned to go to summer school, get the extra help they need. And then if they're not still on grade level, then they'll be able to, to pull down a tutor from the state and be able to get tutoring the following year so that by the time they hit that third grade. That would be, what, second grade? When- K-1 and 2. Okay. And so they'll be able to pull tutors down in summer school starting in kindergarten to get those kids the extra help that they need to get them on grade level so that when they hit third grade, they're on grade level and the third grade retention bill doesn't does not come into play. Okay. Let me make sure I understand this. So K-1 and 2. Mm-hmm. And, and Mr. York, are you following this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we, we talked about that on this program several times mm-hmm. to have some kind of intervention K through 2, K through 3. Actually, mm-hmm. a teacher's aide or somebody in the classroom to assist the teacher when they got 25 students. Mm-hmm. So it, one form it would take would be summer school. Summer school, yes. Uh, so if, if a kid's not on grade level when they take their last universal screener, we don't have an end-of-course test in K-1 and 2. Right. So if, they, if they're if they not performing on that last universal screener that the locals use, then the children would, would go to summer school to get the extra help that they need. Okay. And then if they're not performing on the grade level by the end of summer school, then we would give them a tutor for the following year when they move on. There'd be no retention, but it would just making sure that we're doing all the interventions. And then the extra money coming down from TISA, that's where we could, like Mr. York talked about, that's where the locals could allocate more funds to those K-1, 2, and 3 classrooms to get those teacher's aides in the classroom. So if summer school is not successful in getting the job done, then a tutor would be it. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. I, I, Hey Scott, what, yes, what about the inter- intervention of an IEP? If if they find students and everybody's not going to be at the same level and everybody doesn't have the same capacity, let's face it, that's realistic. Correct. What happens if you, uh, they track a student uh, K through two and they still find that that student is not performing up to level? Should they intervene with the IEP for that student okay, before so- they? 
get into the third grade testing period. So for those out there, IEP is an individual education plan. So a student that uh, may have some educational shortcomings or some education, additional educational needs, you can create a individual education plan that would be specific for that child. Um, normally what we see from our, from our kindergarten and first grade teachers is it's very difficult to diagnose those early. It takes a little bit of time. But by second grade, if, if we use those triggers we put in place for summer school and tutoring, then what you see is a, a pattern, right? A child that is constantly behind, even though they're getting the interventions, that would signal to the district and to the school system is, hey, let's screen this kid for either dyslexia or a learning disability. Okay. If I can interject. Coach Mike Lyle, retired teacher on the board. Okay. Uh, for an IEP to be put into place, there has to be an identified learning disability mm-hmm. of some kind. That's they correct. You can't just do it because they're chronically behind. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, or something like that. There has to be some kind of identifiable uh, learning disability for an IEP to be put in place. And that does take a little bit of time right yeah. now. The way they think it takes almost a year mm-hmm. for a student because they have to go through several mm-hmm. steps of basically eliminating problems until they figure out which problem is is the problem. And that's why we paid so, in the in the uh, uh, literacy bill. That's why we paid for teachers to get training to identify a student that might have a learning disability to get them referred to start the process yeah. of the evaluation. Okay. I mean, you're just not going to walk in there and say, hey, this kid has a learning disability. You're going to have to document that because once that student is tagged with that learning disability, it stays with them. And so you got to be very careful yeah. about that. But we've put more money in the TISA funding formula that when you do identify a student who has dyslexia, then they're able to pull down, the districts are able to pull down additional money from the state to help mediate that, that learning disability. And we've identified, I think it's 10 different types of learning disability, all stacked, which, and, and what I mean by stacked is, let's say dyslexia is a level one, then level two would be something additional to dyslexia where they would pull down a Additional money also for learning disability number two, and you have some of these these students that are severely handicapped or 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 with severe learning disabilities that they could be a level ten. Those are the students that could be pulling down seventeen to twenty thousand dollars a year from the state for their for their for their uh, educational needs. Okay, so that's what TISA does is it gives us the flexibility to meet the students' needs, but supply the funding for the locals to be able to meet those needs. Wow. Okay, but not clear as mud. Clear as mud. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> it's education, man. <laughs> yeah. It's education. Clear, what else did you expect from our system? TISA stands for Student Tennessee's Investment in Student Achievement. That that is the basically what it is is the new funding formula for public schools in Tennessee. That's correct, and it's students focused instead of district focused. And specifically here in Murray County, it's going to provide uh, this year, this school year. Uh, The last number I saw was roughly 17.6. So if we have 12,300 students, right? Right. Which I think is what we have. uh, Close to 13,000, actually, I think. The the state's going to provide an additional 17 million more for the exact same amount of students because we're starting to identify all the individual needs of those students and what they need. So the districts aren't having to foot these bills. Bills, the state's going to provide the money, which is our, our tax money, but we're investing your tax money back into education for these kids. So that's uh, approximately $17 million in, for Murray County in in new recurring funds. Yeah, a place like Davidson County is getting roughly around $90 million. 
Right. Memphis is over a hundred million. Okay. And that's that's the investment you're making to try to do things to get these kids. Like Mr. York knows, you know, in those early early education classrooms, you know, you if you can add a teacher's assistant, a, a teacher assistant in there who's trained and certified, that's a that is a big tool that we can use to help these kids. So okay, so that's uh, that's recurring money, mm-hmm. uh, and in Murray County's what budget school budget annual school budget is about a hundred million, maybe a little over one hundred nine, one hundred nine. So so uh, they're getting seventeen million on top of that. So that's a significant uh, proportion, and, the, and yeah. for and for the first five years, that seventeen million comes with no local match, no local match. So the county commission does not have to Im- increase their maintenance of effort. Now they can if they want to, but by state law they're not required. That's significant. Yes, yes. And then the other thing is um, um, the federal money. I know uh, there's been a lot of talk about federal money, and and I know the speakers have convened this this committee about trying to look at the feasibility of of turning down the federal money. Um, it's very complex. Uh, I've been studying this now for over a year. We ran a test bill last year to get a fiscal note on it. What what would it cost Tennessee? And the net of it is about $1.6 billion, $1.4 billion, somewhere right in there. The, the feds give us more money than that, but there's a lot of redundancies in the federal money and a lot of waste, shocking, I know, from the federal government. Right. There's a lot of waste in there that, I mean, uh, Mr. York, you probably noticed about cafeteria food and all the food we throw away because we're mandated from, from the federal government where we could be more efficient with that food and make sure all the kids have the, have, have a good nutritious meal, but we're not wasting so much food and just throwing it in the trash. Well, so, what we gonna do with it, Scott? Once a person touches food, you can't reserve that. No, Mister York. What what happens is the federal government requires our schools to prepare lunches for the entire school system or, or the entire school. Yeah, even yeah, they're the, nutritional. I know they are rated as nutritional valued lunches, and and kids at that age. I had this when I was on the school board. They throw a lot of food away. We haven't been able to find ways to force kids to eat green beans. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Let, hey, Mr. York, let, let, this is a great conversation. Let's, let's take the break. We'll come back and finish take this break, conversation. Take break, come back. I'm sure Clayton, Mr. York, Ron will have some questions. We're talking about ter- Tennessee turning down federal funding for its schools. Who's Visit your local Buick and GMC dealership first for new or pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs. Parks Motor Sales. At Parks, professional sales staff makes shopping easy. Buick and GMC financing can put you in the vehicle you want. And certified technicians keep vehicles running great. Experience the new Buick at Parks Motor Sales. Go online to parksmotorsales.com. Find your favorite vehicle. Then stop by Parks at 919 Nashville Highway for a test drive. Parks GMC. We are professional. Hello, I'm Barbara Lincoln with Holland's Pharmacy. 
You may have heard our previous commercials about compression hosiery that we carry at Holland's Pharmacy. Well, we've recently expanded into a full line of knee braces, back, wrist, ankle, and other support wear. We will gladly help you get just the right fit for these items and, of course, special order items to ensure the proper fit. Come see us at Holland's Pharmacy, 1608 Hatcher Lane, or call us at 931-388-4233. 388-4233. Hi, I'm Steve, the Garbage Man. Have you been hauling your own garbage to the convenience center? Are you tired of doing it? Does your work schedule keep you from hauling it off regularly? Is your teenage son not taking it off like he promised when he got his driver's license? Do you have something better to do on Saturday? If any of these questions strike home to you, call the Garbage Man at 931-540-0919 and your problem will be solved. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the drywall that somehow isn't. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. This is Dr. Dominic Mancini from the Dr. Gill Center. If your car was damaged in an auto accident, chances are you'd fix the car. Why wouldn't you give that same attention to yourself? Untreated whiplash injuries of the spinal column may lead to conditions such as headaches, numbness in the arms, neck and back pain. The doctors at the Dr. Gill Center specialize in detecting and treating such injuries from an auto accident. Accident consultations are free. Call me painfree.com or call 615-551-9224. For 40 years, the Jewelers Bench has worked hard for their customers and provided the highest quality jewelry at the best price. They keep going back. Recent renovations have allowed them to expand their inventory. More high quality jewelry, custom vintage and estate pieces, and professional jewelry and watch repairs. They also buy gold. The Jewelers Bench, still here, still great service. 808 Trotwood Avenue, Columbia. Hello, my name is Connor Mims. My wife Bradley and I live in Columbia, Tennessee in Riverside. I am a deck and porch builder and my wife is a second grade teacher at Riverside Elementary. My specialty is designing and building elegant and comfortable porches and decks. Let me work with you to design and build the porch or deck of your dreams. Give us a call today from our website, MimsModernLandscape.com. That's MimsModernLandscape.com and check out what we have to offer. Thanks. Hey, this is Seth Moss at Tennessee Valley Equipment, a premier FAE Prime Tech, Bandit, and Surex dealer. We are your dealer for all of your land clearing and forestry mulching needs. We sell equipment, provide repair service, and parts along with a rental fleet of mulching equipment. We also offer mulching teeth, blades, and sharpening. Our number one priority is getting you up and running as quickly and affordable as possible. Tennessee Valley is located at 300 Santa Fe Pike in wonderful Columbia, Tennessee. Stop by or give us a call today at 931-981-9812. The generations that have paved the way for us deserve respect, integrity, and compassion. This is Kelly Dobson, owner of Caring Hearts Home Healthcare. My grandmother and mother started this business in 2005, and I was honored to take over in 2012. Licensed and insured, we help our aging community stay in the comfort of their own homes. Online at caringheartshomehealthcarellc.com, by phone 931-381-5470, or in person at 1121 Trawood Avenue here in Columbia. That's Caring Hearts Home Healthcare. 
Life gets busy, and sometimes slowing down to buy your family quality food can seem impossible. This is Terry Taylor with Taylor Family Farm, and we offer local home delivery in addition to our local drop locations to help with that problem. Now you can get your favorite pastured poultry, pork, and grass-fed beef delivered right to your door. Visit TaylorFamilyFarmTN.com to find out how. We believe in healthy food, healthy people, and healthy community at Taylor Family Farm. The sun is rising, most definitely. All right, we are back. Three news with a view. My name is Del Kennedy. It looks like it may be a rainy Wednesday out there. Thursday. Thursday. Thank you, Scott. Lord, that <laughs> I don't want. I don't want to relive Wednesday. It was a rough day for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no Groundhog Day, please. Oh, me. I I am tired. We did that uh, radiothon for two solid days, and uh, it, it 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 there was a very I don't know what the right word is. Interesting, fulfilling, uh, you know, eye-opening experience. But uh, it is. We did that radiothon for the Well Outreach, the Well Food Pantry in Spring Hill. They serve all of Southern Middle Tennessee. And the goal was to raise enough money to feed 700 families for a month. Uh, and Clayton was just showing me the figures. We've not only raised enough for 700 families, we raised enough for 776 families for a month. And that number is still rising. So thank you out there to everyone who gave. Thank you, Southern Middle Tennessee, for helping that cause. My name is Del Kennedy. I'm dude number three. Dude number two, Clayton Harris. How you doing? Doing well, Delk. Good morning, everybody. And yeah, like you mentioned, I mean, it, it costs $30 to get a family a week's worth of groceries. So if you just do the math, we raised a lot of money over the last two days. It was it was, it was an, 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 a, a very fulfilling thing to do. Yes, it uh, was. But even though I'm exhausted, <laughs> still. <laughs> All right, dude number old. one. You're getting old, Delk. Yeah, Mr. York, I know. Dude number one, Mr. Jim York. How you doing, man? Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. I just dealt before you start. I want to just condolences to the Hanna family. Gary Hanna used to be a former football coach out at Withorn. He lost his daughter. Now I don't know what age she was, but I know uh, I think she had been sick for a while. So condolences to that family. Yes, I, I don't know Mr. Hanna, but there's nothing worse than losing a child. I don't think I I haven't lost a child, but I've known people who have, and I've never observed anything more hard. All right. Regular special guest dude, native son, favorite son of Columbia, uh, 1977 graduate of Columbia Central High School, Ron Hart. How you doing? Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Ron. All right. We have with us State Representative Scott Sapecki, friend of the station. He's been giving us an update on state road projects, but we're getting around to a conversation now. Uh, I believe the governor has appointed, appointed a committee. Speakers. The speaker has speakers appointed, speaker, uh, section has appointed a committee to study the possibility of uh, simply refusing federal funding for public education in Tennessee, thereby freeing uh, Tennessee of many of the mandates, uh, which may cost more than the money we're getting for them. Uh, so, Scott, take it away. You were starting that when we started into the break, and let's keep going. And, and I'll, I'll try to be brief here, because I know you got other stuff to talk about, but um, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see a committee that's going to look at 
um, exactly what is required by the federal government, how it ties our hands, and the things that we can do to free ourselves up. And it, it ranges everything from the cafeteria to interventions with the kids to reporting data, trying to make sure that, that we are allocating our funds to the best possible ways to get these kids the help they need, get the teachers the help they need to be able to teach these, these individuals or these children, and then just doing it in a cost-effective way uh, so that we can make sure that everything is generated towards one thing, and that's an educated student coming out of our our K through 12 classroom. It'll be a challenge, um, and and the committee may come back and say, you know what, it's just too entangled. We can't do it. Or here's the pathway forward, and then the general assembly will have to debate and decide on if this is the path forward. It's not going to be a one a one snap decision because there's so many things that are entwined. And Mr. York, you probably can know a lot about this. There's so many things that are entwined that you just don't snap your finger and you don't take the money. It would probably be a de-escalation or, or, or a de-incentivation of the money coming from the federal government in a step-down process. And probably the last thing that would go away would probably be the food money because you'd have to make sure that you secure all the contracts and everything and shift all that money away that's going to that'd be coming from the feds would now be coming from the state and just making sure it all flows seamlessly. There we go. Scott, right. I think that's one of the less smart answers that uh, – uh, not – less smart adventures that this legislature has done Mm -hmm. Uh, when you start talking about not taking federal money and what's that going to do to the taxpayers of tennessee you know tennessee Mm -hmm. gonna have to pick up something and and yeah you got a surplus that surplus gonna quickly erode but we're not doing the things that we need to do we could use that committee to advance uh maybe your your mental health centers or something of that nature rather than talking about not taking money from the federal government because you're mm-hmm. creating a, a major problem for the services that are needed across this state, and and that's not going to be an easy job. Uh, if you got a barrel of money somewhere that Tennessee's hiding for a number of years, go for it. But if you don't have a barrel of money, your little surplus is going to run out in a very short period of time. Well, Mr. York, that's that's a great observation on your part, and and I, I will reference back to when uh, Governor Bredesen had to cut the budget the last time because they were basically using all the recurring money for recurring expenditures and they had nowhere to go. Since under Republican control, our budget, we have roughly, and I checked with the Finance Committee on this, we have $12 billion of our budget, $12 billion of our budget of $56 billion of recurring money that's being allocated for one-time expenditures. Okay, Scott, if y'all got that money, why has has the the, legis- uh, the auditors of the state of Tennessee said that you owe Tennessee State more than $500 million, and the government says over 30 years you owe Tennessee State more than $2.1 billion? Why not pony up and let that institution get the money that they're supposed to have that the state's been underfunding for years? Well, Mr. York, that's a great question. I'm glad you, you brought that up because I wasn't going to go into that, and I'll tell you why. The reason why the state has not has not invested the amount the amount of money in Tennessee State as they have the other universities is because of the gross mismanagement of the board and, and the president of Tennessee State. And the decisions that they've made have just about run that school into the ground. But and Scott, you, well, when on, you don't have no, when you York. don't have housing on campus, what do you expect the president to do? Well, you don't have a campus that's viable for an increase. 
Tennessee State has right, increased right. well, in student well, population. You know, you know, let me answer. This, this is not, you know, we're talking about uh, federal funding and the prospect of refusing federal funding uh, from the state of Ten- by the state of Tennessee and thereby freeing the state of Tennessee's public school system. I'll tell the, you what, Doug, I'll the, be happy to come back on a different show and talk to Mr. York about that because there's a lot well, to Well, that's there. a different subject. Different and, subject. And, uh, but the, the, the one of... Uh, the possibility of refusing federal funding is certainly a large enough one to have uh, a conversation, uh, uh, more conversation. About and, it. and we have the money and we have the ability to do it without costing the taxpayers any additional funds. Plus, we think we could do it more efficiently, which would provide cost savings that we could possibly put into teachers assistance or more help in, in early education. Or how about the Mike? You might like this one. How about better teacher pay? Better teacher pay. You know, I mean, what I what I keep hearing, and and I'll bring my perspective because I worked with federal agencies like the Department of Education when I was assistant United States Attorney, and what these agencies do uh, is they these federal agencies they they pursue an agenda that is way outside of their statutory authority uh, from the U.S. Congress. And they come in and they tell people, you've got to do this or do that uh, to get your federal money, uh, even though they really don't have any statutory authority to do that. And uh, that's just typical of how they operate. True. And, uh, I mean, I've just heard of school systems who've got these federal money compliance officers who are just doggone near terrorists. You know, they've taken over the school systems with some things that might be required to get the federal money but a whole lot a whole lot of things that are not actually required to get the federal money mm-hmm. and th- these things never you know they would rarely they would where we would come into play they would occasionally get tested in court and you would sit down and meet with department of education attorneys and they would be taking this position that the schools have got to do that or do this to get the federal money and you go show me in the statute where it says that mm-hmm. And uh, well, uh, uh, that tricky uh, thing called the law. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I I have no doubt that the DOE is tyrannical, uh, imposes a greater burden probably than the, the funds that they mm-hmm. provide. And uh, <coughs> but we'll, 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 the prob- see, we'll the see what happens. With, the problem with doing that is that the state will be again in a tyr- tyrannical position to do anything they want in education to any principal, to any teacher, to anybody. And that's uh, that's wrong. But, uh, Mr. York, Mr. York we have not shown kids, that. I don't think not so. not treat kids on an equitable, base, equitable basis. So if you don't take federal funds, you don't have to meet the federal guidelines. And that's your intent, which is going to destroy this state. We're already at the Song bottom, of the and you contend to try to destroy it. Mr. York, remember this. There equitable is not the word equal is the word that we treat all students equally that we guarantee that they'll be supplied everything in the classroom for their needs whether or not they take advantage of that is up to them so we will we will guarantee that they will have an equal opportunity for success but you've got to put you've got to meet this system at least halfway and we haven't even talked about parents yet and that's a whole different discussion but i didn't want to get into that today just want to give you the updates yeah. and then i'll come back another day and we'll have this conversation yeah again. i'm going to talk about tsu but I'm clayton uh ron have y'all got any questions about this uh federal funding issue with public schools in tennessee Generally, 8% of the budget of each state is federal money that's given back to each state. Is that normally kind of the number, roughly? That's correct, yes. 
Yeah. And with that comes a bunch of strings and things to do, et cetera. I, I, can, I can totally see a state rejecting the money and going, going their own direction on this thing because uh, what's the value at? They don't just give it to you to block grants and go, go about your business, teach your kids. They say, you got to do this, you got to do that. The paperwork, the no child left behind, all these different tests and metrics they put on. It hasn't worked. I mean, the scores are down. The, the, it hasn't worked. So why don't we keep doing it? You know, it's just run by the teachers union for the benefit of the teachers. I think you'd rather take that, you know, the money to give the teachers are good teachers at least and let the local people decide what to do with the money, not the feds. There you go. Clyde? I don't think so. <clears throat> I thought, you know, I think Ron kind of stole my thunder there with what I was going to ask Scott, but uh, I, I agree with him. It's, it hasn't been working. So, you know, why continue to do the same thing that we've been doing? Well, Well, the the working, no, Clayton, is on the local end. Once the federal government gives you the money, you've got to produce. Within their guidelines. Uh, Within the guidelines. And you're not producing. We're not producing with that money. What do they want us to produce? Well, it's it's everything that accompanies the federal money, all of the social things that are required. And we can get, I, I don't want to get into this right now. We'll, we'll talk about this on another show because you could, I could devote hours to this thing on, on this. But I'll, I'll keep you, I'll give you an update. The committee's supposed to start to have their first meeting next month. Obviously, I'll attend that meeting. And then when we have that meeting, I'll come back and report about, yeah, about where yeah, it's headed. Keep us updated on what the committee, and from what you, what, from what you've said already, the, uh, the the result or report of the committee, the recommendations of the committee, are not a foregone conclusion at this point at all. True, we're going to do we're going to do our research and see where it leads us. There we go. All right, let's uh, Scott. Thank you. Come thank back, you. and we're looking forward to these further conversations. I think it's time to take a break and uh, come back. This is Barry Duke, and you're listening to 101.7 WKOM Columbia. Celebrate you with a new vehicle from Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Columbia. We have a huge selection of new vehicles waiting for you. We're talking cars, trucks, and SUVs. And if you're in the business of selling your vehicle, we've got you covered. We'll buy from you even if you don't buy from us. At Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Columbia, we're locally owned and operated and proud to serve our community as the largest CDJR dealership in Tennessee. Find your new ride today when you visit Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Columbia. Terry Tillis from Tillis Jewelry. Let's talk about antique versus vintage jewelry. Did you know antique jewelry is over 100 years old and vintage is 50 to 100 years? Tillis Jewelry, located downtown Columbia, has a wonderful collection from Georgian, Victorian, Edwardian, and Art Deco. We select every piece for their timeless beauty. Stop by and select your favorite piece. Jewelry to last a lifetime. Remember, Tillis Jewelry, your antique and vintage jewelry store. 
Are you thinking about a new fence? Maybe you need a pole bar. Then you should give Sands Fence Company a call. That's 931-309-1644. Will Sands has built his business based on the principles of honesty, quality, and integrity. Sands Fence Company has been in business for over 20 years, providing the community with farm, residential, and commercial fencing, as well as pole barns and buildings. Call today for a free estimate. Sands Fence Company, 931-309-1644. 931-309-1644. If you happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. When you see the happy face on our truck, you'll be smiling because you know that you're in luck. When you fixed up and you know it, Hiller solved it like you hoped it. If you're happy and you know it, shout it out. Hiller! And now the best man. Uh, I was going to plan this speech out while I got my oil change, but I went to take five and it was a lot faster than I thought. So here he goes. Okay. Tim, you were my first friend. Angela, you were my first. (laughs) Yeah, I never thought the two of you would make it, but I guess love really is blind. No, no, no. I mean in a good way. At Take 5, your oil change is faster than you think. Take 5, the stay in your car 10-minute oil change. This is Mark Curry at the Trailer Store. We are a local, family-owned business. Every day, I work with my wife, Susie, my mother, Becky, and my son, Justin. We offer a full line of lawnmower trailers, utility trailers, stock trailers, and a full line of trailer parts. We also offer service. Come see us at 1021 New Lewisburg Highway. Call us at 931-381-2795. That's 931-381-2795. Do you have trees that need trimming or removed? Do you have stumps that you want ground? A1 Tree Removal is a family-owned and operated business local to Columbia and Lewisburg and servicing surrounding Middle Tennessee. They are licensed and insured and provide free estimates. No job is too big. No tree is too small. Give old Luke a call or text Luke at 931-359-3113. Or you can check them out on Facebook and tell A1 Tree Removal that you heard this ad on the radio. If you love America, you will love A1 Tree Removal. This is Delk Kennedy, owner of Kennedy Broadcasting Company, operator of WKRM, historically 1340 AM, now 103.7 FM, and WKOM, 101.7 FM. We call ourselves Front Porch Radio, and I've said many times what that means. It means that we are working to connect this southern Middle Tennessee community, one listener, one relationship at a time. And let me elaborate on what that means. In this community, we will relentlessly promote jobs, commerce, business, industry, education, arts, green space, music, rivers, the great outdoors, healthcare, churches, charities, sports, and all the great people of Southern Middle Tennessee. Join us, help us, call us. Front Porch Radio, Delk Kennedy, thank you for listening. Rubber ball. 
All right, we're back. Three dudes with a view, Thursday edition. It is Thursday. Yes, sir. I finally figured that out. It's Thursday. My name is Del Kennedy. I am dude number three. This is our last show of the week tomorrow inside Middle Tennessee with Jim Ross, and we'll be back with you on Monday. My name is Del Kennedy. I'm dude number three. Dude number two, Clayton Harris. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, Del. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Dude number one, Mr. Jim York. How are you? Good morning, Del. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. And uh, regular guest dude, uh, native son, favorite son of Columbia, 1977 graduate of Columbia Central High School, Ron Hart. How you doing, man? Good morning, buddy. Good Good morning. All right, I want to introduce Olivia Adams. She is a reporter for Main Street Murray. We are delighted to work with Main Street Murray uh, fairly regularly around here, and uh, we sort of help each other cover the news. Olivia is covering a couple of stories in the criminal courts of Murray County. And Olivia, let's just quickly go through, uh, I think you were down at the court court yesterday, right? Yes. And... uh, there you go. We can hear you. You're down at we were down at was were you in general sessions or circuit court? Uh general sessions. Okay. And you're following a couple of cases. Uh let's yeah. let's what 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 are they? So first is the um and there is really not much information with the Daniel Walls KKK flyer suspect. He's he the one just who's waived a, his his uh, rights. He's alleged to have posted these flyers on three uh predominantly uh, black congregation churches uh, which were threatening and he purports to be a member of the KKK uh, whatever um, so he was there and, and basically he just um, waived his rights for pl- preliminary hearing um, he did not want to talk at all so he has a public defender now which makes sense that now he's not going to talk but um, what was interesting is this uh, James Davidson okay um, so the Mr. Uh, Walls, though the alleged KKK uh, member, his basically his case just continues to make its way through the mm-hmm. court system. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. And the other case you're following? Um, so on September twelfth, um, James Davidson allegedly um, murdered his girlfriend Carol Ann Coleman, and um, he was not physically in court yesterday he was um via video at the murray county jail um and he was formally charged with um first degree murder and aggravated assault resulting in death and so a lot more information was revealed um very disturbing information uh as far as just the details surrounding so he's he's his girlfriend is dead, and he's alleged to have killed her, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and really, the, I mean, everything about it is very sad, but just in in July, end of July, um, month and a half before he allegedly murdered her, um, he was, he made a plea, domestic assault again, and he was uh, suspended to probation for 11 months, 29 days. And very sadly, uh, per the victim's request, they um, terminated the bond conditions. Um, and then a month and a half, this happens, which is very tragic, but very common in domestic violence cases. Yeah, um, it is. I, they, they, that is Olivia, not, Olivia, there was a that is not uncommon. several incidents on that, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, dating back to 2017, about almost 
five different charges of domestic violence. Um, the most recent one uh, was he was charged with domestic simple assault in May of 2023 and preventing another person from making an emergency call. Um, but I mean, yeah, it goes back with them for years. Um, yeah, and it's very, I, and very having practice in the criminal court, courts, I can tell you this is not uncommon. The victims often don't want to prosecute at all, and these things just keep going and going and going until uh, something bad like this happens. Um, it's, you know, you've got to bless these organizations who help the victims of this domestic, domestic violence. You've, Safe clinic. Yeah, I mean, they... The criminal courts are really not equipped to mm-hmm. help most times a woman. I did have a case one time where the woman took after the husband boyfriend with a two before, but uh, the uh, most times the woman uh, you know wants to go back to the one who's abusing her, and uh, it it takes the criminal courts are beyond the expertise to and and these i can't remember the names of the organizations we've got we've got one or two operating in columbia right now that help victims of abuse uh sexual violence uh uh, uh, the the type of abuse we're seeing here uh by the boyfriend husband whoever and, and helps them you know come to grips with the situation and leave it because uh, let me tell you i I've never seen one of these situations where the perpetrator just says, oh, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. Mm. Once they hit somebody, they're going to keep on hitting. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just Mm -hmm. the case. That's, you know. It just takes intense intervention uh, and counseling to to the victim before something really bad happens. And a lot of times, like you say, they have to agree to that. And if they don't agree to the intense intervention – then they go back to the same situation, and it repeats itself. Mm-hmm. That's what happens, Mr. York, and it's very difficult. I handle these cases as a prosecutor and as a defendant, a defendant lawyer, a defense lawyer as well. And uh, they're just very problematic to reach a solution where uh, you know nobody else gets hurt and. And it's like I said, the, that's where the courts need these outside organizations that can provide that intense counseling you're talking about to the victims to help them sort out what's happening to them and help them come to the conclusion that they need to leave because they need to leave the relationship because that's really the only I mean, the solution. Now, the courts are willing to lock these guys up. Uh, you know, I know we see a lot of cases here, but that when the victim comes in and goes, yeah, I don't want to testify. I don't want to see the guy locked up. Then you got a problem. And then they do get locked up sometime for, you know, a good period of time. And then they come out and aren't much different from when they went in. So it's a problem. Uh, I've got something else I want to move on to here. Clayton knows this. And Mr. York, Ron, you're going to handle it. You're going to. Uh, this is we we got an anonymous letter no i got an anonymous letter yesterday uh somebody had gone to the trouble to uh uh actually type out my name and the address here at wkom wkrm cut it out on a piece of paper and then tape it to the front uh so their handwriting is not on the letter Mm. it's i mean they are doing their 
best to remain anonymous, no return address, postmark Nashville. And this letter that we got is a story that we really weren't going to follow anymore at the present time until there was actually something in court. It has to do with Roy Brooks, who's been charged with uh, bringing a a uh, unauthorized weapon on the school grounds to Whit Central High School back in May. Uh, there was an active shooter report at Central High School. Uh, the, okay. Of course, the various carries the SWAT teams and whatnot from uh, uh, Murray County and Columbia Police Department showed up along with all sorts of other first responders. And apparently, according to reports, Mr. Brooks joined in with the SWAT team going in and by all reports even though he was not a member of the SWAT team or a member of law enforcement of any type uh, apparently he was known to uh, the the law, the law enforcement officers and he carried his AR-15 and and they uh, accepted his assistance and knew him according to every report we're getting. Alright, I'm, I'm going to read this though, this anonymous letter uh, to me uh, to Delk Kennedy, WKOM, WKRM. We as parents are concerned about the lack of information following the May 3rd active shooting call at Columbia Central High School. Many of us concerned parents listen to your discussions on 101.7 WKOM Three Dudes with a View show and the recordings that were played on the Three Dudes WKOM Facebook page. Our children and teachers' safety was put at risk, and we still don't have answers as to why an unauthorized adult came to the school with an AR-15 and wasn't arrested. We need answers to how this unauthorized adult entered the school and put kids in danger. We as parents want answers, and we are asking you, asking for your help to uncovering the silence. We don't even know his court date. We appreciate all you do for our Monday. Community. We appreciate all you do for our community and those that live and work here. Doctor Steele and his team do great work for Columbia Central High School and deserve the best. They also include a copy of a Main Street Murray article. I believe this one was written by Chris, uh, Yow. Chris Yow's story, where in two thousand nine, uh, let's see, a two thousand nine memo. In Mr. Brooks' personnel file obtained by Main Street Murray via the Tennessee Open Records Act, Mr. Brooks was removed in November 2007 from the Tennessee Fire Academy for pointing a broken-down AR-15, that's a rifle, at students of the academy, uh, which is just a... Another incident associated with Mr. Brooks, apparently, at this point in time. Well, let me add into that. Okay, um, Olivia, what's up? There are a lot of unanswered questions, and that's a lot of a lot of people have reached out to me with similar um, questions themselves, statements like what what this individual sent you, and um, it is definitely being looked at. That's all I'm going to say is is it's being looked at how how this was handled, the response. Um, it's not going away. Well, so let, we're working hard on it. Let me let me say this, parents. I mean, first of all, I mean we've had folks on this show clayton have we not who are uh think that the, this was the roy brooks uh participation was you know something that 
but he he was about all reports he was known to police officers and they welcomed his help uh and they we've had people who are roy brooks defenders who say maybe he did something unwise and then we've got other folks who are deeply disturbed by the fact that somebody with an unauthorized rifle was there present at the active shooter situation is that fair to say clayton we've had people on both sides of this issue yes sir i I think i think we've had both points of view uh expressed yeah we definitely have uh hey bill but to that parent those those parents that are concerned that's an uh, i i understand an active investigation is being conducted and doing an active investigation you don't get information disseminated out it's, it's disseminated out at the conclusion of the investigation. Well, in response, and, uh, TBI is, is investigating this. No, they're not. Uh, we've <laughs> checked with that, and they are not. Uh, but what I did, though, folks, you know, I'm a lawyer, but you don't have to be a lawyer. This stuff's all public record. I went down to the courthouse yesterday and pulled Mr. Brooks's file in the circuit court clerk's office which I believe any citizen can do. I've certainly done it as a lawyer many, many times. Uh, and what the file is, you know, it's very straightforward. Mr. Brooks has been charged with one felony count of carrying an unauthorized uh, weapon on the school grounds back on May the 3rd to Whit Columbia Central High School. Now, he was not arrested uh, there on the spot. Uh, apparently, it shows he was arraigned two or three weeks ago, I think. After a capius was issued, and he apparently self-reported, and was uh, a bond was set by a judge, and he made the bond. And that's all reflected in the court file. His next court date is November eighth, two thousand twenty-three, in the circuit court for Murray County. That's typically a, that's a that's a date where the judge will ask him whether or not he wants to plead guilty or not guilty. And this is this is not a preliminary procedure anymore. This is where. Uh, either a a plea pursuant to a plea agreement with the district attorney's office is entered in court or if the district attorney's office and the defense through his lawyer are not able to agree on a plea agreement then a trial date is set in this case jason watley is representing the court file shows that jason watley is representing uh mr brooks so on November 8th, the judge will ask them, is this going to be a negotiated plea or a trial? Now, sometimes the parties are still negotiating with each other or gathering additional evidence, and they'll ask for a continuance of the uh, plea trial date, and that's most often granted at least once or twice uh, before the judge says, okay, if you folks can't come to an agreement, we're setting a trial date. Uh, there's nothing really hidden here. Now, let me say this to your parents who are writing in. You know, uh, we've we've had uh, Roy Brooks supporters on this show, uh, Chandler Anderson. We we are you are welcome to come on this show and express these concerns. And I'm somewhat puzzled by your need for anonymity. I mean, this is an issue in our school system. Parents should and ought to speak up. Uh, what are you scared of? Why won't you come on this show and? Tell us what your concerns are. You'll be welcome. You'll be treated nicely. We'd love to have you. Um, All right. Time to go. See you Monday. Have a great day, folks.